What's up, people? Welcome back to yet another episode of Kickoff Sessions. Welcome to episode 56. And on this episode, I'm joined with Simon Ree. Simon appeared on episode 33, I believe, a couple of months back. And it was such a good episode that I wanted him to come back to record another session. Episode 1 was all around career building. Episode 2 is all around how to turn your interest, how to turn your passion into a profession. Simon has really diversified from his original role, which was in investment banks. He's worked at the biggest banks in the world, such as Goldman Sachs, Citi, as well as Credit Suisse. Not only that, Simon has had many years experience now in entrepreneurship. So he transitioned out of finance into more of an entrepreneurial role. He's came out with his own book, which is a how of trading. He has his own course, which is all around trading. And really he's built an entire business around it. This transition has been really impressive to see. And this has been the focus of today's conversation. So episode one with Simon Ree was all around careers building. We talked about networking, you know, building a good career. How can young professionals approach the real working world and especially the corporate world however this episode is a complete different slant it is about how to approach your interests your passions and turn them into actual professions just like simon who transitioned out of trading and in wealth management into entrepreneurship we're looking at ways you can turn your interests no matter what it is no matter what sector it is and into an actual professional pastime We go from ground zero, we look at how Simon did it, what he would advise and how he would position your interests and hobbies. We take them in one step further, how do you turn this into a paying actual service and really how do you identify something that's not for just a short term, how do you look at it for the long term. This is always quite difficult when you're quite young because you're not exactly super experienced, you don't have 20 years experience or almost 3 decades like Simon. So we look at what do we do now, how do we turn something that is your pastime and how do we scale this up into a profession this is a fantastic episode simon is really down to earth and he just gives a real realistic approach and that's why he kind of came back on the show because we had so much fun the first time and i learned so much and i think the feedback was so great that this episode is going to be something similar and hopefully you also enjoy it so before we get going if you enjoy this episode and you want to share it to instagram please do tag kickoff sessions it really helps the organic growth and if you would like to share it to some other platform, that would also be fantastic. So I'll leave it right here. Here is my conversation with Simon Ree, all about how to turn your interests, your passions into a profession. Simon, you're very welcome again to Kickoff Sessions. I really appreciate you coming back for another episode. Our first episode went really well. It was all focused around young professionals starting out, which is exactly where I'm pretty much at a couple of years into my experience, you know. So I think that was awesome because you've had, you know, two decades at this stage working in in big firms and getting all that insights on like, you know, how to approach networking, how to approach even interviewing and whatnot was super valuable. So today would be a completely different slant. And that's what's going to be really cool, looking at turning professions, you know, turn, looking at turning things into profession from your interests and hobbies, which I think is really yeah. a, a new opportunity for people now at kind of my age and what people are trying to do more and more, really. Absolutely, Darren. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on. The last show was, was a pleasure. So, um, yeah, anytime. Yeah, of course, of course. So I think what was really cool now is about the fact that, you know, 
you were started off in Goldman, you went on to more investment banks and whatnot, and then you completely went 180 into entrepreneurship. Now, I don't know how common that is, but I don't really see that many people do it as much as you have, you know? So how have you even just seen yourself when you went from taking the salary to making the salary? How has that experience been from you at the very beginning? Yeah, it was a, I mean, it's a big change. And there are several, I guess, things one has to get used to when you go from working in a big corporate with a big title mm-hmm. um, to working for yourself. And I mean, some of the things that you go through early on, one is you, you all of a sudden you, um, you, you feel as though you've, maybe you've lost some prestige because you've, you've, you've got a business card that could open doors for you just, just by virtue of where you worked. You know, you had a title, you had people reporting to you and all of this kind of makes the ego feel good. Mm-hmm. And then it's just you, you know, Simon Ree, who, who the hell is he? You know, I haven't got Goldman Sachs on my business card anymore. That's not going to open, you know, my, you know, my personal brand isn't going to open as many doors for me as, as the company that I worked for used to. So that's, that's the first thing to deal with is, is just that kind of loss of identity to an extent. And, and we, 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 we can talk about ways you can mitigate that. Um, secondly, it's all of a sudden you, you've, you become very self-reliant. And, and I remember, you know, days where I'd spend half a day fixing the bloody printer. You know, you work in a corporate and you, you ring a help desk and somebody comes and fixes the printer and you use one of the other 13 printers while that one's getting fixed. Uh, you know, your printer goes down and it's a real, real pain. Um, you run out of stationery. Oh God, I've got to, you know, run down to office works or whatever and, and buy some printer toner or right? <laughs> whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 a lot of, a lot more self-reliance. And then of course the biggest difference is when you work for a corporate, you, you get this paycheck that basically just comes into your account every month, unless you really screw things up. Um, but, but generally it, it's, it's pretty reliable. And you go from that to a, a situation where you don't have that same continuity of income and it is really all down to your efforts. Um, the downside of that is it comes with a, a certain amount of stress. The upside is you're not subject to somebody else's opinion of you. You're not subject to pay rises or discretionary bonuses or some corporate HR framework that dictates you know, what your upside is. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a self-starter and, and you're ambitious and you're hardworking, it, it's an enormous benefit. Um, if, you're, if you're not a risk taker and you, you just like that, you know, steady paycheck coming in every month, it's probably a, a, a massive shock. How did you even deal with kind of the, the kind of anxiety of being so self-reliant? Because as you said, you know, like, like the pressure's all on you and no matter what happens, like, you know, you're going to have to, it's input versus output. So did you have to, did you see yourself really throw, you know, more hours at it in the beginning and trying to compensate for, for that? Or were you, mm. you know, well aware that you couldn't figure things out? I threw a lot of hours at it just because it's, it's, it's necessary. You know, when you're building a new business, it, it, there is just a, there's a lot of work involved and you, you, don't, you don't know 50% of it until you actually start and, and you realize just how much work is involved. I was never concerned about, I guess, making a living from it because at the end of the day, I thought, well, I, I mean, I can trade. I've, I've, got, I've got a skill set and that's really how I've, I've been making the majority of my living since, since I left the corporate world behind. So trading is, a, is, a, is an important skill set and it's one that's enabled me to, you know, pay the rent and put three kids through private school and, you know, do, do all of those sorts of things. Um, really, the, the business side of things, the, the more entrepreneurial side of things, is, is it's part of my mission rather than 
um, something that, that was like I, I need to do to put food on the table. Yeah, it, it's it's was, you know, I I really reached this point in my career where I'd spent two and a half decades in the corporate world, helping people who were already wealthy beyond their wildest dreams, and it was more a question of what is my marginal contribution to society. And, and when I analysed that, I, I didn't really feel very good about it. And I recognised there was a real gap in the market for people who are not already extremely wealthy. The, the, the investment products available to them tend to be not that good. They tend to be expensive. And there are a whole bunch of myths and outright lies that get told to the general public. And so I, I guess my, my vision, if, if you want to call it that, was to create a group of people who become more creative, more entrepreneurial, happier, all because I've managed to help them reduce the burden of financial stress. And I think what big thing about that is that you've shown over the last two decades that you like understood markets, you understood like people's desires and where, where the cracks were. And that's a big thing, I think, because you came at it with a lot of experience a lot of people may yeah. not originally you know or they may have an idea or think like okay this segment this market is correct but you really lived and breathed it for so many years and you obviously got a lot of enjoyment from it but then you kind of had that introspective look saying okay maybe i could be doing more to society and i think we mentioned this in our last podcast before that that's a big thing about we know when you turn like 30 or, or 40 is that you've been taking from the world for so many years you know as a kid you know you're reliant on your family then when you get older, you want to like experience as much as from life as possible. And then as you get older, it appears to me that you want to give back more. And I think it was cool there because there's the opportunity of, okay, there's a lack of financial information and we've seen the downsides of that and people getting burnt so hard recently. And then we also see the element then you're like, okay, I can provide a, a viable contribution. So it's, it's a nice kind of like a um, harmony that's supposed between the two. Yeah. And it's, and as you sort of alluded to, I think it's a journey a lot of people go through and, and reach a certain point in their life. You, know, you, you realize that um, you, you become more contribution-centric in, in your approach to your way of life and, and, and what you do. Yeah, for definite. You mentioned earlier as well about like, you know, the kind of, you had the prestige, you had everything. And really now there's so much more like kind of external pressures because people are like, oh, what's, what's Simon doing? You know, thinking he can do this or start this. How did you kind of even approach something like that? Because huge for my generation is, what do people think of me? You know, it's all the what ifs. Yeah. What if people think that this sucks? What if he, like, you know, my close friends think that I've changed and whatnot. And that's a huge part of, mm -hmm. you know, people of all generations really, you know? So what was the big thing for you? Because we all have to take that leap and the difficulty at first, you know, putting your head out there and saying, yeah, I'm going to go down this route can be also very challenging. I think you know, speaking just from my own personal experience, I, I never defined myself by my job or my career. And I, I reckon most of my friends, none of my friends really had a clue exactly what I did. You know, they knew I worked in a bank or, but they, they, <laughs> I never, I never talked about work much and I, I never defined myself by my career. You know, I've, I've seen too many people uh, become retrenched or, or retire and, and just completely lose their identity. And, and it's, you know, they just fall into a depression. So whether it was conscious or not, it was not something I, I ever really did. Um, but I mean, some of the things you miss are, are honestly, um, it's almost embarrassing. But, you know, when you, when you work for a big bank and you've got a, you know, a good job, you, 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 you fly business class everywhere, you stay in five-star five hotels everywhere. And it, it sounds incredibly hollow, but I mean, those are the things that in, the, in those first couple of months when you're traveling economy and staying at motels, you sort of think, oh, 
Yeah, I miss that <laughs> miss that former life a little bit, yeah. but um, you, you know, you get over that pretty quickly. It's funny because you like usually the opposite is romanticized. So when you're working for yourself, it's like, oh yeah, you've all this freedom, you can work from anywhere you want. But it's actually the opposite. It's like I need to really watch my cash because this is the only inflow of cash at the moment. I can't be you know going to fancy restaurants, getting hundred dollar steaks and whatnot because <laughs> if I do if I do this, I can't afford my marketing budget. If I do this, I can't afford any sort of products like. And you can't really do anything, you know, so you'd be very careful with understanding it and being able to say, okay, this is what I'm going to, this is my new lifestyle now. And going backwards is also very difficult. People find out, you know, it's very hard to give up what you already have. Yeah, that's true. It is true. Um, but like I said, it's, these are, these are kind of fairly hollow inconsequential considerations. It's just, just, but, but they're things that you, 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 most people will go through um, that they may not have considered in, until it happens, but I, I, you come out the other side pretty quickly, I find. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you're, to your point about freedom, the, the amount of freedom that you do pick up is, is considerable. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's work involved, but you, you work on what you want, when you want, the hours you want. Um, you know, the idea of having to ask somebody else's permission to take a day off kind of seems really banal to, to me, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, even then- though that was my life for, for, for most of my life of course as an adult it's like asking to go to, to, go to the bathroom as a kid you know when you're yeah. in school and then it's like the, the flip side to it um i think what's really important for like our generation or even for myself is about you know if you're starting something and you want to make sure that it's like sustained and for the long the long period because you know we don't want to start up a project and then two months later crash it down and then go back to what we're doing originally you know so like how mm-hmm. for you like has been like picking like, okay, I'm going to provide trading education under, under trading. You know, you've seen that it's a real long commitment for yourself. You can see that your whole, you know, life has been around trading, which has been really great. But for younger people, how did they kind of identify that and say, okay, this is what I'm going to stick with and try to work on and build on and not just give up over the course of, you know, two, three years, even at the, at the best. Well, I think you've got, to, you've got to build a vision and you've got to build a mission. So your vision is your contribution centric objective of, of what you want to achieve with your business and your mission is, is what are you going to do every day to bring your vision into reality and it, your vision has got to be something that resonates with you at an emotional level that you know fills you with vibrational excitement if you like um, something that you believe in and that you really want to achieve and then the mission is, is and it does i'm not talking about a mission statement so much but but maybe even kind of steps so you've got the, the macro and the micro if you like uh, the, the mission is what keeps you true to, to the vision. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've got a vision that resonates with you, that you believe in, that excites you, you know, when, when you talk about it, you, you, you get excited, you, you feel energized, it's much easier to stick with. If, if you're just doing something for the money, you think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do this because I'll make a bit of money on it, that's when you're going to run into trouble. Because despite what people think, the money, the money actually is, is not going to keep you motivated. You know, it, it just doesn't. If if, you, if 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 your vision doesn't fill you with, you know, I, I would call it vibrational excitement. Um, it's probably going to tire you out one day, even if you are making a good living from it. That's that's quite interesting because if you think about like anything that is, you know, people like that kind of Hollywood kind of moment of, oh yeah, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Like I'm building a company and I'm going to be the CEO. But the nitty gritty is your day to day tasks. You know, it's the the BAU tasks and stuff that is monotonous and repetitive. And usually people just don't want that. People just want 
you know, the North Star, that this is what I want and this is what I want to achieve. So to your point, they want the vision, but they don't want to do the execution of the day to day. And that's where you, yeah. you, you fall behind, you know, and like, even if you were, you know, writing your book, obviously at first was a huge a bit of excitement at first and telling your, mm. your mates and your family, <laughs> but then, you know, then you're on page 100 you're halfway through you know you're stuck in the weeds it's very difficult to keep your consistency unless you really do love it you know and even if someone like yourself who was so interested in it may have came with the difficulties every once in a while to say look look this uh this has become a bit more challenging than what i thought oh man i i've always been a you know get shit done kind of guy but i can tell you writing the book uh, my sock drawer it never looked so neat. Um, I really did discover my my inner procrastinator, and uh, you know Stephen Pressfield in his book The War on Art, he talks about the resistance, and I I never really knew what that meant until I started writing a book. And oh yeah, it's but but that's just where you've you've got you've got to what, build a habit. Why do you think that was though? What because like you know you are like a super organized yeah, dude, like, so like I, I can't. I can't give you a I can't give you a, a good explanation for it, but I would I would procrastinate and I would make excuses and I would you know find other things to be busy with. Not all. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually did finish the book. Of course. Um, and I finished it in in about six months. But you know, I probably could have done it in half the time if uh, if I eliminated all the procrastination. Yeah, and that was really your kind of first step into you know kind of building your business and starting it up from there as well. So like it could have been very easy to say, look, this isn't for me. I'll come back to it in a year. I'll come back to it in two years. Whereas like when you just, even if it, you ran over time, so you're like six months, whatever, that seems a bit, a bit, a bit much for yourself when you look back on it. But six months is not a long time to write a book if you compare it to all the other people. Like, so even outside. Yeah, your own no, timelines. I don't think it was, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's 342 pages. It's a, it's a proper it's a, book. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not a, it's not an ebook or a pamphlet. Um, so yeah I, th- I think six months is fair and, and then you know the publishing process takes another six months as well so it was uh it was quite quite a quite a decent chunk of time from go to woe mm-hmm. but again with with the book i had a vision um every options book i've ever read it, it was kind of hard and boring and dry and i wanted to write a book on options trading that was fun and easy and and approachable and and, and engaging mm-hmm. and yeah, based on 95% of the feedback I've received, I, I think I succeeded in that. But of course. again, just having that vision, I, this book doesn't exist and I want to I create it, I want to make it exist is really kind of your North Star or well, was, was my North Star. I think what's cool about that vision as well is it kind of feeds into like, you know, like success criteria. So um, actually podcast with a guy last week, we were discussing about like, you know, what is like a successful outcome for starting your own side business or or starting your own company like where is where do you define success and more importantly where do you define failure so like what's your kind of approach to that because his advice and my kind of approach was that okay we put so much emphasis on getting something good and getting something perfect but then we don't really never know when to stop or to take appreciation and think okay i've got to a certain level so were you looking in terms of like book you know book purchases and i don't know different things like this because if people are starting something it's good to know what you're trying to achieve and then working backwards versus okay, I'm just going to do it because it seems like the best thing to do at the time. I mean, there's a there's a couple of ways to go there. I mean, in terms of the book, I mean, you know, book sales and making number one bestseller and all of that. I mean, you know, at one sense they're, they're kind of vanity, vanity metrics, mm-hmm. but, but 
but, but at the same time, there's no point writing a book if nobody's going to read it, you know. So you, you, you do want to get that book in people's hands. Otherwise, it's just been a, a waste of effort. So, yeah, I, I want people to buy my book and read it and, and love it. And, and hopefully, you know, some of the people who buy my book like it enough that they want to work with me longer term and, and learn kind of all, all of the ins and outs about trading. Uh, in terms of the business, like I said, the, the vision is – I. It's pretty general. I mean, I, I don't even really talk about trading in my vision. I, I just want people, I want people to live better lives because I've helped them reduce the burden of financial stress. Stress is one of those things that um, impairs your decision making, impairs your quality of life. And if people are living more creative, more artistic, more entrepreneurial lives, because I've helped them reduce the burden of financial stress, you know, that, that's my vision achieved. In terms of my mission, how do I do it? Well, I like to think that I'm revolutionizing the way finance is taught by shattering long-held myths and, and beliefs mm -hmm. about finance that have of been course. deliberately perpetrated by Wall Street. Of course, yeah. And, and so they are so difficult. So they're, they're, they're kind of, that's my vision, that's my mission. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how many people become members, that, that is a, that's a, a, a metric that you can track. So it, it is important. Um, but it's a byproduct of the vision. It's it's not the vision itself. I I, I want to make you know x x dollar in sales or something like that. Yeah, exactly. What the process is. It depends if you want it to be, you know, purely like revenue generating. Like let's say you need the money, so you started something that you're like, okay, I put all my cash into this. Or is it like yourself where you have a purpose for it? I think that's quite quite interesting. Like so, if you want to help people and provide a service, which you're doing through your courses and whatnot. Or is it you're providing a product to ultimately help people? I think it's quite difficult for people to draw the line often. So, but I think if you're, if you're going into a business because you're passionate about it, you love it, you enjoy it, you love talking about it, you love teaching people about it, you're going into it for the right reasons. And, and if you do a good job of that, you know, the financial rewards will flow. They, they just yeah. absolutely will. Um, if you're going into a business purely to make money, um, I think people can smell that. And, and I think you'll eventually run out of energy because business is tough. Life is tough. Um, and and if, if you haven't got a strong mission, a strong vision behind you, uh, you, you will probably give up at some point. And especially like over the last couple of years, I think people have become way more aware. They can smell bullshit straight away. And they can see when someone is like not authentic, when someone is purely doing it just because they think it's a cash and grab or whatnot. And those people eventually will kind of, will kind of peel off. And what you're often left with is like people then that stay consistent and can spend, you know, five, 10 years building something that is quite difficult. And that's what's quite, quite interesting. Uh, I remember I was speaking to someone a couple, couple weeks back and I'm just saying that, you know, at the moment, if I'm podcasting and let's say it's coming in and out, it's doing well, some weeks it's doing not great, some other weeks. He was saying, if you can just stay alive and stay consistent, you'll ultimately end up being, you know, one of the best or have another service or be able to build a business around it because you've just stayed alive. You enjoy what you're doing and you also are just super consistent, you know? So there's kind of that kind of, kind of parallel going together versus short-term benefits. And that's a big thing I always discuss as well as like, you know, not sacrificing long-term goals for short-term happiness the quick, the quick box Absolutely. and whatnot. And uh, I think it's cool because like, that's where you need to kind of think of the longer term vision. And that's where it all goes back to, is this what you're fundamentally interested in and hopefully passionate about? And just, you made a superb point there on consistency. I, I think consistency is a superpower. 
because uh, consistency can be boring, uh, consistency can be hard, uh, and that's why a lot of people don't don't have it. And I mean, it's it's the same in business. It's the same in trading. You know, if if you can if you can just survive, if you can survive your first six months trading and and not lose money, you, you're almost guaranteed to to be making good money down the track. And you know, this is why I harp on about risk management so much. It's it, it, if you can just survive those first few weeks or those first few months, um, your odds of being very successful are, are really, really good. And and I think it's the same in business. And as you've just said, it, it's same in podcasting. If you can just hang in there and survive, when when most other people who are going through that would, would give up or lose energy, yeah, you, you will reap the benefits. What's really cool there as well as you said, you know, staying alive from like a like a portfolio financial perspective. So like usually if you have a good kind of base knowledge or you're learning in parallel, trying to learn a bit of, you know, kind of education, you mitigate that stages and then you're going to fundamentally get better from there. You're just going to slowly improve yes. through time, you know, and that was a good, um, that's to your point, your post during the week, which is, you know, start first and then edit second, you know, just get going, get up and going, mm-hmm. build your experience that way. And I think, that's where it becomes so much more valuable than waiting around, waiting around and not really kind of having a good strategy and not putting time under the mic or time on the charts and really putting like a, your practice into, into, into play really. And that's a, that's, that can be quite challenging to say, I'm not going to use a demo account anymore. I'm going to go in and actually trade on my own money and become a bit more experienced that way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just, just to your point about um, you know, editing later, Act first. Uh, I think it's so important that whole you know ready fire aim approach because uh, you know one of my mentors said to me years ago that the worst kind of action is inaction and I mean that's certainly borne itself out in in, in my life. Yes, you'll make mistakes, but you can always you can always course correct and and mistakes you know, so long as you own them and and are accountable for them and and correct them uh, very rarely are they, are they that big of a deal. Mm. And, and timing is um, everything I find as well. Um, so like. Um, 100% agree with that because the big thing for me when I was starting out was I need to be pulling all these different social media platforms. I need to be showing up on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on here. I need to do video. I need to do audio. And I didn't do that. Instead, I was doing like one thing at a time. And I look back mm-hmm. and regret saying, oh, I should have showed up more. I should have done more. I should have done this. When in fact, what was right for me at the time was taking things step by step and then identifying the, the issues that happened. You know, So really, when I did act then, could have been starting a YouTube channel, could have been starting this. They were terrible in the beginning. They were really, really awful in the beginning. And then you like you see the small tweaks because if you think about it logically, it's easier to tweak something that's already in existence than, than to start something new, you know? And a perfect example oh, absolutely. is like- That's a great like, point, actually. Because like a lot of the, the clips that I would make, for instance, so I learned how to um, uh, record and edit video at the moment right and it's it's fucking complicated it's really complicated to do it really well i just there's something in my brain that just doesn't work that well with it i just find it difficult and i'm looking at things and i know that they're pretty shit and then i would say it to my girlfriend as well i was like no this is shit what should i do and we're like okay let's look at this small change and that small change and if you literally scroll through like a, like a list of my videos you will see them slowly getting better and even it was like this morning right. i was looking back at them and i was like yeah, I could tighten things up, make font cleaner, a bit smaller. And they're just small kind of bits. And then you compare that to say, I don't know, uh, you might know uh, James Smith. He's a big podcaster from the UK. He's based in Australia now. Uh, like he's, you know, five, 10 years experience. You look at his stuff and you think that's completely out of range. Where it's not because he was often at that stage in the very beginning. 
And so was people like yourself who started trading and you could look at yourself and get intimidated and say, you'll never get to that stage where it's like, I know for a fact you, you, you've, you know, you've made terrible trades over the course of your lifetime as well, as well as many good ones, but you've learned from them though. And that's very, very vital to do along the way. Absolutely. I mean, mistakes are always forgivable, um, provided you don't keep repeating them. And which goes to your point, you, you've, got to, you've got to learn from your mistakes. And that means owning them and accepting them and, and not blaming other people. You know, as soon as you start trying to shift blame, you, you rob yourself of your power. Um, whereas if you just own up to it and say, yep, yeah, I did it. I know why I did it. This is how I'm going to correct it. This is what I'm going to do differently. It, it, it's incredibly empowering. Mm. And actually, that just reminded me of um, the post you had around uh, ownership with, um, oh, what, what's the guy's name again? Uh, Jocko. Jocko, yeah. So like Jocko's yeah. 101 with this, just like, you know, that's from a leadership perspective. And, you know, he absolutely nails it in terms of like taking complete ownership for your decisions and for, you know, leading a pack and everything and then not being, uh, just not having any great moments in your life. And that that's very difficult to have. And you can kind of see that he's just been humbled from all the mistakes he's kind of made. And I think he was in Afghanistan. He was in, he was in Iraq. He was in a couple of different places. And uh, mm-hmm. it kind of feeds into David Goggins' kind of um, accountability aspect as well. So his whole thing is just like, whether it's good, whether it's, whether it's bad, you're taking full accountability for your actions. And it's, t- it's tough, man. You know, it's tough. Like when things go wrong, you want to blame everything else. Uh, but when you realize that it's fundamentally you, that's where you can make the proper changes then, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, the problem is we're, we're all raised from, you know, from the age of two onwards. Uh, we are just doing our utmost to, to try and not screw anything up. All right, because if you screw up as a kid, your parents will scold you. If you screw up at school, your teachers will tell you off. Your friends will make fun of you. You screw up at work, your boss will yell at you. And so we're forever trying to never screw anything up, um, which, which tends to kind of reduce our appetite for, for taking risk. And it plays out in, in trading as well. I mean, the, the thing is in trading, you know, you're going to lose. You know, the best traders in the world will lose 30% of their trades. You know, and, and that sort of, I guess, mistake ratio in real life probably would be unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But but if you can get over that and, and sort of just let the ego go a little bit and, and not be afraid of, of making a mistake, a lot of people think they're going to look silly if, if they make a mistake. Um, but really and truly, if you've taken action and, and you've made a course correction, don't even call it a mistake. Um, you're actually going to win people's respect. Mm-hmm. I think trading you know, is a really the good action example. takers in the world. Then. Trading is the perfect example there. You said because you know after you make the mistake, you have to get back on the horse and do it again. Yeah. And if and if Absolutely. you're you know, if you're worried and you're scared and you're thinking that oh god you know you've lost your confidence, it's the worst position to be in where there's literally money on the line. You know, so you have to completely get get back on track and kind of back yourself. It feeds into different aspects of business as well. Like if you've made mistakes in the past, you need to be able to get yourself together. Like you know, I don't know, get yourself back in check, you know, and how did you even do that when you were trading? Like if you made a, a big mistake, did you have some sort of kind of recourse or like a habit that you would kind of use to get back on track? Well, I, I guess I've just refined my process very early on to ensure that if I follow my trading plan, big mistakes were, were impossible. Mm. So it's all about taking, taking lots of small risks and, and managing them all like a professional. And, and that way you, you can really avoid Big mistakes. And uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I, 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, emotional control is is the one thing to work on every single day as a trader. So I I keep a, a diary of my emotional state and how I'm feeling when I'm placing trades, and it can be quite quite instructive. If you can recognise what your emotional state was when when you made a trade, it, it can be very enlightening. I, I have a, a no high fives rule, uh, which means if I'm if I'm feeling like high fiving myself on how good I am at trading, it's time to time to for me to cut risk very very quickly. Uh, usually means a, a teaching moment is is just around the corner. Jeez, yeah, a bit of overconfidence. Uh, when I recorded with Daniel Crosby, he said that yeah. was like the you know the number one thing is like you know you have your own confirmation bias, and uh, you've you've continued like from an own psychological perspective, like you've built up all this like uh, this essentially idea that you know you're correct, everyone else is wrong. You know this is great. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the market. I'm gonna beat everyone else. And at that point, then he said, that's when you should stop. <laughs> You're <laughs> yeah. in this position, you know, and like, he's like, you know, behavioral psychologist uh, and in behavioral finance. And it was really interesting, you know, and even him who like is so in tune with his own, like, like, like you know, his own awareness of his own behaviors. He said he makes these crazy irrational decisions from, from time to time, you know, and he looks back and he's like, this is my profession. Uh, as as a as uh, as a guy with a PhD, and now he's yeah. even making those tendencies. So so in all aspects of life, like things can run away from you, but I think you need to just go back to center, saying, okay, this is where this is my core of what I should be doing on a day to day. Absolutely, and just having that having that roadmap, like if if it's um if it's if it's building a business, having that business plan or that you know that mission statement. If it's trading, having your, your trading plan in writing on your desk within easy reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what I say to people, you know, sometimes people will, will ask me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm scared about this trade or I'm nervous about this position. What should I do? And my answer is nearly always, well, what does your trading plan say you should do? Yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if you just refer back to your trading plan, all, all fear and uncertainty will disappear because it will tell you exactly what you should be doing. That feeds nicely into actually habits that I wanted to actually discuss about because, you know, someone like yourself, you, you come across very organized and you have your shit together. And obviously you may say it differently, but it looks like, you know, you always have your different elements of your life in check and you've been able to kind of balance them really well. Like what type of habits have you been really building since you've been on your own or, or even since your, your actual uh, corporate days, like it could be your daily habits and your schedule because to get things going, get things flowing, you need to be on top of it from whatever time you begin to whatever time you finish in a day. Uh, to me, it's just, it's all about balance and moderation. You know, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a workaholic. Um, mm. You know, I'll put in hard yards when I need to, and I'll reward, re- reward myself with breaks when, when I need to. You know, I, I think, um, you know, eating well most of the time, you know, exor- getting some exercise in nearly every day. Um, things like meditation can help a lot. I mean, I've, I've got a got a young baby at the moment so my my, my daily routine is, is a little <laughs> so bit out, out of whack so he's, he's not um he's not sort of sleeping that well at the moment so you know in terms of date my like daily routine i i don't really have one to be honest at the moment but I, you know I, I i used to yeah for trading um, especially you'd need to have like a routine yeah. and kind of working through those different kind of areas but my you know my biggest i guess my biggest qualm at the moment is you know balancing well, not, it's not even balancing, you know, I'd, I'd love to focus more on business development, business growth. Um, but my, my biggest overriding commitment is, is what do I owe my members mm. and, and giving my members a, a world-class, you know, best-in-class experience is, is my number one priority above, above anything else. It seems 
that's 100% it seems to be the best approach. Um, when Amanda Slavin was on my show last week, she said, you know, customer retention over customer acquisition every day. That's just the way it should mm-hmm. be. How are you improving the experience of existing customers? How are you giving them more and providing them more services versus um, going for new customers? So kind of her point was like these startups, you know, they don't give a shit about their existing customers. They just want grow, 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 more people, more people. But if you cultivated the people within your membership group, offer them some additional stuff and whatnot, that's more lucrative uh, than looking for continuously more customers. It's also more rewarding because you you know you're doing a good job. You know you're delivering outstanding value, and and you you know you you feel good about yourself when you look in the mirror and get up in the morning. Yeah, of course, you can still have probably that reach of getting more people though if you were to bring in someone to help you with marketing or to help you with um yeah. you know, further kind of sales and stuff. And there's there's more opportunities there. But I suppose if you build from within, improve what you have already, and then after that time, then you can okay, I'm at a stage where I can look externally and try to find more people. Instead of just going yeah. grow, 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 you know? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been, I think, very conservative and responsible in, in terms of how I've grown it. And look, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's been good. Could always be better, of course. But uh, of course. yeah, delivering that member experience is, is paramount. How has been developing a, a course? I know we spoke about it previously, but my, uh, before we start recording, my, one of my close friends was a videographer for a course being recorded at the moment. It's actually, funnily enough, a trading course as well. And I think he's been working on it for six months and they still don't have mm-hmm. a, they still don't actually have a version one out yet. Wow. And, okay. and it's been six months long and uh, they're doing three courses in total. And he said it's been the, the heaviest shift he's ever done. And he's, he's the videographer. He's not even the guy with the experience. Right. It's crazy. Well, uh, building a course is, um, it's a lot of work. I mean, when I look at, um, you know, the, the kind of the courses, the memberships that I offer, there, there would be over 60 hours worth of video there plus a whole bunch of materials you know cheat sheets blueprints handouts that type of thing um so it, it is a lot of work I, I would estimate that for every hour of video there's probably six hours of preparation mm. um and that's that's excluding all of the kind of pdfs and, and what have you so it's it's a it is a lot of work to, to, to get it out off the ground um fortunately it's stuff that it, it's all up here you know I, I haven't had to kind of sit down and, and research it it's just a piece of in a case of getting it out, out of here and you know in, into a, a video format that people can digest in, in a way that is simple and easy and, and fun and engaging for people to understand. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's writing a book I think was a, a good template for that mm-hmm. in terms of how to communicate. And yeah, the, the feedback I've had. Yeah, and so the you know one, the other one of the one of the other. I guess challenges you've got when you create a course is, is keeping people engaged with it. You know, you, you hope that they, they, once they bought the course, they actually do the bloody thing, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the, the fact is we, we all buy clothes we never wear. We buy, you know, CDs we never listen to or back in, you know, back in the day of CDs. But, you, you know, we buy books we never read. Uh, unfortunately, people do buy courses that they, they never end up taking. But uh, it's about just having a, you know, a nurture email sequence that just kind of nudges them and reminds them of, you know, should be doing this module now and this is what you're going to learn and these are the objectives and mm-hmm. just, just trying to keep people as, as engaged as possible. Where did you uh, learn how to do this? So like, you know, how to like firstly create a course and then also to, you know, kind of keep the pressure on because I know a lot of other courses do something similar, but it's quite difficult to, uh, to know like how to build a community around a course. Is there, is there some types of approaches that you've been using? 
Well, I used to, when I was working at Goldman, I used to run training sessions for people on, on options. So, I mean, I, yeah, I was trading people who were already up the curve and, and working in the finance industry, but I, I did have some experience in, in teaching professionally, and not, not as a teacher, but as, just as a, as a senior member of staff. And so I, I leveraged a lot of, a lot of that and, and just kind of made it simpler and, you know, tried to throw out as much jargon as possible. Unfortunately, when you're talking about options trading, a certain amount of jargon is, is necessary, um, but making it as, as relatable and, and real world as possible. And, um, you know, I, I had kind of a, like a, a test group of people who, who went through the course initially. You know, I had about 50 people and, you know, I got a lot of feedback from them and kind of made a few alterations here and there and, and just kind of shaped it a little bit to bang some of the, you know, the rough edges off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's iterative. It's not, it's not one and done. Um, of course. But, I, but I think for the time being, where, where my programs are at, they're, they're working, they're good, they're getting great feedback and, and people seem very happy with them. That seems to be like a really good product kind of development loop that you're running, like using feedback to essentially improve the existing product. Because a lot of people might say, look, this is my product. I'm going to push it out to the world and let it sit there. But you've been using just customer feedback to guide it instead of saying, this is what I want. It's like, this is what my customers want or possible customers, which is the best way to pull it in. You know, it's not necessarily driven off what you may think is the best. It's about how do we improve the you know the knowledge of people that have no experience up to this point you're dead right and and when you're you know when you're kind of the expert on something uh, it can be a little bit hard to to really know what somebody who is a beginner really wants so i think getting that feedback is is important mm-hmm. and and just just keep testing and then refining as you go it's it's a lot of work but mm-hmm. uh, i think it's necessary if, if you want to build a, a really really great experience for your members one thing I wanted, to, one last thing I wanted to ask was around, you know, turning that interest and in, like monetizing it. So, you know, it looks to me that it's an obvious choice for someone like yourself that has 25 years experience or whatever to do this, to create a course. But for younger people who are starting out, it's quite difficult, you know. So what's your thoughts on like, you know, gaining that experience to be able to monetize it into a service like you're doing with a course or some other aspect? Do you need like several years experience and what would be your kind of uh, advice for people? Because people would have a similar ambition. Do they need to have five, 10 years experience to really do it? That's a really good question. Uh, I think one, one problem that a lot of people run into is the so-called imposter syndrome. You know, I've, I've been doing this for five years. You know, who am I to, to teach other people? I don't feel like I'm qualified. Um, and I, I had this in a different area of my life. I mean, I, I was back in 2000 and... 17 i think it was i flew up to thailand spent some time with my my sensei in jeet kundo was actually called a sifu but you know hmm. a lot of people aren't familiar with that term uh and i, I became a certified jeet kundo instructor and and i kind of thought well you know i've been doing this for a while and you know i've, I've done a, a week-long sort of instructors you know course where they basically try and break you and <laughs> convince hmm. you this isn't the path you want to take uh, but, but came came out the other side. But then I, I had a bit of imposter syndrome. I thought, you know, compared to compared to my Sifu, I'm woefully inexperienced. And you know, this guy trained with Ted Wong, who was Bruce Lee's last private student. And I, I kind of thought, well, who am I to teach people Jeet Kune Do compared to to my Sifu? And he kind of said, 
look, look at it like this, Simon. You, you know more about Jeet Kune Do than 7.9 billion other people on the planet. Mm. You know, so and, and it's, it's uh, I, I kind of thought, yeah, I, actually, I, I really do, you know. Mm. Um, and I think if you're, if you're teaching people, uh, look, the, the more experience, the more intuition, the more, the more innately you know something, the better off you are. But you don't have to be the world's best. In fact, you probably only have to be three or four chapters ahead of them in the book. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, you know, in a very simplistic way, you just got to know more than the next person. Now, obviously, you don't want yeah. to just be one step ahead, but you just need to be able to provide what my friend calls it is not page one of Google advice. So if you can provide something that you can't <laughs> find on Google, and I thought it was very interesting, um, therefore you can. Provide That's a good way to put value. it. Actually, I like that. You know, so like, for instance, if you were trying to advise people to do one thing, it's like, okay, not telling you like what to do. It's telling you like why and how that's better or worse. And I think that's where yeah. you get a lot, a lot, a lot of advice and feedback. So if you are building a course, it's like you need to get something a bit more detailed because actually the same friend actually has a with three, four years experience uh, actually in trading. And, you know, his criticism of courses was that he could have found everything else. He could have found this information online elsewhere. So even though that, they were explaining the basics and going through. And I think he spent a lot of money actually, in fact, on courses. It was like 400 quid a month, I think the subscription was. Um, he was saying, fundamentally, if I wanted to go find it, I could have found it elsewhere. So maybe, I don't know what you can think about that. It's probably like you need to provide an extra layer of information for people that uh, have paid and want a, bit, a good service. I think that's key. I mean, you've got to be adding value over and above what, what is free, but, but also the way you structure a course. I mean, I've, I've really structured and engineered my course to take people who become a member through a, a journey where, where they go from a beginner to an intermediate, you know, a beginner to a student to an intermediate to a professional trader. Um, they are all necessary steps that you need to go through. You just don't want to get stuck at any one. And, and what happens to a lot of people who learn trading by reading, you know, watching YouTube clips for free or, you know, re reading free articles is they get stuck. They'll, they'll get stuck at the beginner stage or they get, they'll get stuck at the intermediate stage because they, they, there isn't a curriculum in place to kind of push them through to the end. And, you know, learning trading, it's not just about learning a bunch of setups. You know, learning risk management is really, really important. And not just risk about when you're in a trade, but how to manage the risk of your portfolio. And then what really separates wannabes from professionals is psychology and mindset. Uh, and that's something you need to learn, I think, from somebody who's been there and, and done it. Which is why you need a mentor. And actually, that was a, you know, when you launched the, your kind of latest kind of series on YouTube, that's one thing I, when I commented on saying that that's what's really lacking is that extra layer of detail that you see online for, for trading. It's like, okay, this is like how we do it. But really getting into the super, super detail is, is what I haven't seen anyway. And what a lot of, a lot of people that are my age, or it could be it's more difficult to find, but like the devil is in the detail with a lot of stuff. So you need to be able to get into that lower level of detail to really become experienced and capping out in everything is, is really, is really common. You know, you can get fit and look pretty decent and clothes, but to get super, super fit and to get, you know, build a lot of muscle, for instance, is a difficult, hard process. And it's kind of the 80, 20 rule. If you think about it, you could get up and going and pretty much anything. You're a smart dude. I can imagine you could pick up anything and become really good at it, but to get to an exceptional level, I think you'd need to have those, uh, a time, and time and patience you know yeah and i mean getting fit you know everybody you know not everybody but a, com a common theme will be i, I want to get fit i'll go and lift weights 
and you go to the gym and you lift weights and you know if, if you've never done any exercise before and you start lifting weights you, you'll probably notice some improvement but it's more about just going to the gym and lifting weights you've got to have a workout program you've got to have a regime and if you haven't got things like your nutrition and your sleep mm -hmm. sorted as well your results are going to be inconsistent and unpredictable mm -hmm. and, and it's the same in trading like lifting weights is like learning some trading setups but learning things like risk management, psychology, mindset, that's where you're getting your sleep and your, your nutrition and your workout strategies kind of sorted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, doing one without the others is going to yield inconsistent results that are, that are not kind of forecastable. Yeah, of course. And that's where you've got to be patient as well, because even if you have consistency, to be patient to say, okay, this is going to take me X amount of years or X amount of months, that's also more important than just going to the gym doing a workout and uh, running away from it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a way of or, or giving up when you, you know, you saw, you still saw three days after. Yeah. Of course. And like, you which know, can happen, right? Yeah. Of, of course. But the last one I want to yeah. say as well is that's where a lot of people don't kind of break through because they're, they're capped out because they think, uh, you know, I'm at this stage and I'm not really improving, not really improving. But if they were to kind of stick through it and stay with it, that's where they'd get, they're breaking out those small miniature problems over time, you know, and whether if it is just something to do with fitness and training in the gym, you're working yourself through those tiny problems and getting to the other end and saying, Oh, look at all the progress I've made then over the last six, 12 months. And you get the real benefit then. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So I'm mean, going to say a massive thank you. Um, I think this has been an awesome, really, really helpful session because it's great to see all the work you've done over the last 20 years. And now how it's completely flipped into a different way of providing this educational service. Oh, thank you, Darren. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of sharing knowledge, teaching, if you, if you want to call it that, uh, is, is something that I, I really, really enjoy. And I, I find it extremely gratifying when I see people, you know, get those light bulb moments and, you know, the penny drops. It's, it's something that I, I really enjoy. And yeah, I plan to be doing this for a lot longer. Of course. And where can people find all of your stuff at the, at the moment? Like, where do you have everything housed? So uh, my website is uh, www.towertrading.com. And I've got a YouTube channel by the same name, Tower of Trading. So the YouTube channel is, is pretty new. I've only got a couple of videos up there, but that's, uh, I find short videos is, is actually a, a great way of uh, getting in, information across because I can flip from one chart to another. And it's very hard to do in a, in a post or, or even a blog format. Of course, yeah. And it's so much more scalable as well because you'll catch those YouTube algos eventually and they can really be pushed up to more people. So and there's a, lot, there's a lot of value in YouTube once you can utilize it quickly, well. And you've done it. You've done a great job so far, but I think because uh, consistency and I think it could grow really well because there's that lack for sure on YouTube. Oh, thanks, Darren. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'd say a massive thank you and I really appreciate it. And there we have it for episode 56. I'd like to say a massive thank you to everyone that made it to the very end. A big thank you to Simon, who came back on the show for the second time. His insights are so valuable, such an enjoyable show. And I really think that there's a lot of learning outcomes here that people can go straight up implement in their life. That's the whole purpose on kickoff sessions. Kick off things that you want to do. Get that little bit of guidance. Get that little bit of direction. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to share it to Instagram, I'd really appreciate it. Tag kickoff sessions as always. And I'll leave it right here. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode.